welcome everyone. Um, uh, for those of us uh, in Asia, of course, it's afternoon and uh, late morning in, in the Middle East. Um, I'd like to introduce my panel, but just before I do that, uh, uh, for those uh, who haven't joined uh, one of our webinars previously, uh, the Middle East Institute is part of the National University of Singapore. We are an autonomous research institute focused on Middle East issues and, um, and its relations with Asia in particular, but um, with the world in general. Um, now with COVID, we've been having uh, uh, many more of these seminars uh, with excellent um, uh, presenters. Uh, and we're very glad to have both of you um, with us today. And uh, so uh, I think um, each of the panelists can speak for about 15, 20 minutes, um, and then they'll leave us plenty of time for, for question and answers. So let me just go right in and introduce um, our first panelist. Let me introduce Steve first. Um, Steve uh, Griffiths um, is a Senior Vice President for Research and Development and Professor of Practice at Khalifa University of Science and Technology uh, in Abu Dhabi. Um, he holds a chemical engineering degree from MIT and an MBA from the Sloan School of Management. Uh, we, we've, we've passed your bios around, so I, I won't go into too much of detail uh, into either of your impressive uh, bios. Um, let me also briefly introduce Robin and then We'll have Steve start off, and at the end of Steve's uh, presentation, uh, Robin can step in. So R Robin's established Kama Energy in Dubai in 2015. Uh, previous to that, he was with Shell and uh, with Emirates National Oil Company. He brings in a lot of private sector experience uh, in the oil and gas sector. And he holds a degree in geology from the University of Cambridge. and um, Five languages, interestingly, and including Arabic and Farsi. So, um, uh, Steve, um, would you like to start your presentation off first? Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Talak. Appreciate that. So, I'll uh, once again thanks very much to Talak and to uh, NUS for inviting me to be a presenter today. It's certainly a very interesting topic, one that I'm following closely, and so I'm happy to share with you my perspectives on renewable energy in the GCC status and outlook. And so I'll take you through a bit of context about the renewables sector uh, in a broad way, and then I'll get into some specific things I'm working on uh, with the Dubai Future Council of Energy and, and thinking about some of the initiatives we're having there, and also some of the offshoots of renewables, uh, in particular the hot topic these days, hydrogen. So I'll cover all this hopefully in the next 15 to 20 minutes, and then we'll follow up in discussion a little later. I'll start off just to giving context for my presentation. Uh, there's a couple things I'll be talking about, as I mentioned. So one, let's anchor everyone in the GCC, what the countries are. And I'm sure everyone's very familiar with the region if you're tuned into the webinar today. So Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, UAE, and Oman are our countries. For my talk, it's gonna be important to recognize that as we continue to look at uh, global urbanization, this is a highly, re highly urbanized region already, 85% urbanization. Uh, so we're moving quickly toward a completely urbanized environment gives a good context for how we think about renewables. Secondly, as far as the energy resources, most are familiar with the fact that we're very rich in natural gas and oil. Look about one third shares in both globally. Uh, that we have a very strong 
industry around this particular uh, set of resources uh, right now. As far as the renewables, though, we also are very rich in solar energy uh, and to a little lesser extent wind energy, but solar energy in particular. If you look at the IRENA chart on the bottom here below the oil and gas information, you see uh, where it's very darkly shaded areas where it's very, very good with solar resources, uh, access to grid connections, very accessible. The land topology is good and there's no challenges with getting the real estate for large scale solar projects. And so if you take all of the uh, areas across the GCC in which we have high suitability, so to speak, in the arena words for it for solar energy, you can come up with 500 gigawatts plus of you know, solar energy potential. So uh, besides oil and gas, we have a very good potential for renewables. Uh, and so I'll be talking about trying to exploit that potential to go through the presentation. Now, it is important that although the region, you know, look here at the Middle East and the Gulf states, is predominantly and traditionally focused on oil and gas, the initiatives and the trajectory is toward renewable. If you look at the World Energy Council's Energy Issues Monitor, which they uh, go through every year, they do a survey of leaders in the energy industry. In the regional space, the blue circles show you those topics in 2020, which are considered uh, quite important, but you need action now. And they're not really uncertain as far as the trajectory. And so at the top of the list, you see renewable energy. You also see energy efficiency. So I call that clean tech. So there's a very wide recognition that clean tech is critical. I'd also say for the purpose of my presentation, I'm just gonna mark, you know, tell you that the sustainable smart city is also an area that's critically important, at least getting that way as far as action. A little uncertain now in trajectories, the way it was foreseen, but if you look at all the digital technologies and the idea of sustainable cities, that's also there. So this is where my presentation is gonna go around the idea of clean tech in the region, and then coming in a little more closely on the smart sustainable city concept. Now, when we come to the renewables themselves, I know Robin's gonna cover this as well, so I won't spend a great deal of time on it. I work with a task force now, which is looking at all the Middle East as far as renewable energy, and also some of the EU countries. And we've been trying to collect, we have collected recently, all the policies and initiatives around clean tech, which are supportive of clean tech. And what I will point out in this grid is not to go through by any means all the details of what I'm showing here. Uh, two areas where you'll see each country in the GCC, which is the countries across the top, with a checkbox against, uh, against them. And so one is in electricity targets when it comes to renewables. Every country in the GCC has stated a target for electricity. And secondly, as far as mechanisms to try and achieve these targets, tendering and auctions. Uh, elsewhere, you know, you don't see as much policy as you might see in other places in the world, but certainly tendering auctions around electricity has been the way in which the region has approached renewable energy. And uh, going forward, it's, it makes sense because if you look at the cost of solar energy at the utility scale, and you look at all the tenders, and you see the dominant way in which solar has been awarded is through tenders today in this, in this grid of MENA countries, toward the bottom where you see Saudi Arabia and the UAE, you see the world's essentially lowest cost solar projects. Now they're not, this is not the levelized cost of electricity for this year. These are projects that will be delivering electricity in 2022, at least the one that's 1.35 cents per kilowatt hour. But nonetheless, you, you see that there are bids for solar energy in these tenders, which are extraordinarily low costs. And that chart on the left-hand side shows you in a global sense, although there are contenders in Europe, most of the very low cost utility scale solar projects have been coming out of the Middle East. So coming back to the thought on that table, it makes sense that the, fo the focus of the region has been on electricity and then auctions and tenders. It's been serving the region well 
And so it makes sense for this to be the way in which we approach renewable energy. With that in mind, the thought comes, well, where do we go and what are the targets? And I, I think Robin's gonna show something to this effect as well. So I won't spend a lot of time on this and uh, not just because it's gonna be covered later, but also because the targets in the region tend to change a lot. And so every time I think I make this table up, I end up a few weeks later changing it because a country is updating its uh, renewable energy target. And it's, it's pre predominantly around electricity again. I mean, we're not seeing big renewables in industry or transportation uh, and by any means to the extent we'd probably like to see it, uh, but power sector and then power feeding into buildings, we're seeing that happen. And again, there's some nice targets here. They're, they're significant but they change a lot. And I, I think that when you look at this table, what you want to take away from it is that there is in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, probably if you're looking at the region, the most interesting opportunities for renewables. And so we tend to focus on those two countries quite a bit. Maybe in other countries, there's opportunities, um, but I would say let's focus on those with the most populated boxes, which is Saudi and UAE. Now I'll come back to the UAE because that's the context in which I work. Let's visit Saudi because I think when you consider the region and you talk about renewables, when it comes to targets, Saudi is really where all the interest lies, given the size of what they're they're trying to achieve. So this is a I'm a I work with Frost and Sullivan quite a bit, you know, contribute to their reports and what have you. And they released a recent report where they looked at the GCC or the whole Middle East actually, and renewable energy. And I think this chart is striking. I took two graphs from their recent report because on the left hand side, what you see is the current leader in renewables in GCC is the UAE. So right now, between Abu Dhabi, Dubai, predominantly of almost 1.3 gigawatts of, of renewable energy, largely solar deployed. Saudi Arabia is only about 300 megawatts, give or take, depending on which you're counting. If you go forward and you look at the future and you start to project out to 2030, you're talking about 30 gigawatts. So Saudi Arabia, and they're going to dwarf you even if you would achieve the target of four gigawatts. So the people, when they think about the, the region, when they think about where solar and renewables is exciting, most of the conversation comes to Saudi Arabia, although I'd say currently the UAE has been the country which is sort of uh, walk the walk, they talk the talk. Now with Saudi, I'm not gonna say it's not gonna happen, we need to think about what it means to try to achieve such a target and be putting the region on the map so much in, in renewables. If this target is achieved, it's you know 90, according to Frost and Sullivan, over the next five, five years or so, this is about a $95 billion opportunity for those that want to participate in delivering the technologies. That said, whether or not it's realized is going to be a bit challenging because you see on the right-hand side, this figure um, just recently from Nice, there's a lot of capacity that needs to be planned yet and needs to be, if it's going to be through tendering or what have you, it needs to be worked out as how, when, when that's going to happen, how it's going to happen because by 2025, we need near 30 gigawatts to the currently announced targets. By 2030, it's one decade, 60 gigawatts. So you go from the current state, which is minimal, to a very advanced state, which those that have been around for a, maybe a decade in the region, they know that KA Care, when it was formed in Saudi, had some very ambitious targets as well, didn't get realized. So I say, you know, is this the decade of realization? That's one of the key issues. I marked that the 30% or the 30 gigawatt is about 30, 40% forecast peak demand, only to point out that as you make these targets, it's not just about projects anymore, it's also about the system. And I'm not gonna get into all the systems issues about you know, what it means to give a levelized cost of a project versus the system cost. I will say though, at Halif University, we've done a lot of work with Saudi Arabia for several years now on trying to help them think about when they get to this point, 
what will they do technologically to ensure they can run an electricity system with high share of renewables? And so we have projects, a couple we've worked on, we've done this for UAE, we've done this for Saudi Arabia. Right now, Saudi is, and I can say very positively, they are looking at building uh, advanced systems technologically to be able to manage a system with very high share of renewables. We've done satellite remote sensing with them. We deployed our technologies in KSA along with KA Care. And so now they can better predict the solar resources several days ahead. They can also predict demands. We've worked with them on that and then figuring out as I'll show you in the next slide, off and dispatch. All of the infrastructure on the right is, is, is deployed via technologies developed with KU. And so these dashboards and maps of Saudi Arabia, they're, they're functional, they're real. So I can say confidently, because I know the inside, that there is technology being developed, which is allowing us to consider that the Saudis are preparing well for what could be a great future in renewables because the technology base is becoming available. Just a little more, again, the last slide on what we're doing in this, in this capacity. When we think about these high shares, what is needed and what I think is nice about what we've done so far is leveraging technology. And I think technology itself is gonna be quite important for the whole digital space to be able to predict the resources and then predict the demand and then figure out optimal dispatch from generation units, whether intermittent or their, their base load or their from storage, and then make sure the system runs robustly. And so all of this uh, renewable energy management system that we've developed with them, I think is gonna play out well for the future. And so there is, for any country, Saudi included, there is the need to develop the capabilities. And so at least we know that underpinning those grand ambitions there is a good technology base that's being developed uh, with them. So now moving from technology in the sense, I'm getting a little bit closer to my next topic by talking about the uh, advanced systems with regard to AI, IoT, and what have you, to the uh, sustainable and smart cities and away from just markets, I think that'll be covered later. Uh, when I talk about sustainable smart cities, I focus in on the UA bit because it gives a good opportunity to think about in the region when you're high, highly urbanized, how you bring renewables into context. So in the UAE, the, the uh, overall roadmap of 2050 is for 44% of the power production capacity to come from renewable. Then we have half from hopefully clean fossil-based generation. And then nuclear energy is gonna be in place as well. So about five plus gigawatts of nuclear to balance it out. And then there'll be energy efficiency. Now in the UAE, the unique context is when we think about the country, it's not just one country's targets. We have Abu Dhabi and we have Dubai predominantly out of the seven Emirates, which drive their own thinking around how they're gonna try and build toward these targets in the Emirates in which their electricity and water authorities are overseeing activity. I'm on the Dubai Future Council for Energy and we think now about what goes beyond 2050. And so I'll share with you a little bit about the Dubai context. I think in the smart, sustainable city context and renewables, it's interesting to consider what renewable energy could mean for the future if we get beyond these tenders and utility scale work and start moving into where I think the region can really go. So in the future council, you may have caught from one of my prior slides that around 2025 to 2030, there's gonna be a push toward 25% clean energy. But we realized if you're trying to think about technology today and where the price points of energy are, renewables, you can do much, much more. In the coming decades, we hope that renewable energy is gonna dominate the way in which new technology is deployed it's when it comes to the power sector. And so we need the funding, we're looking at 2030, funding for the renewables. I already mentioned digitalization, essential, so not just Saudi, but Dubai doing this as well. I'm also gonna mention briefly that when we say we're, we're sustainability, uh, it's not just the renewable energy in the form of solar energy with storage and what have you and having that dispatched in an intelligent way. 
Waste is a big problem in the regions, so it's not renewable per se, but waste is a consideration in the cities and also clean water production, which does feed in nicely when you're using uh, electricity driven reverse osmosis residents to renewables. So clean desalination is also part of our city thinking. Then as you go forward, it just gets more ambitious. You start to bring in new sectors. So you wouldn't just have power and you wouldn't just have the buildings and you wouldn't have it called waste is almost a, you know, a city buildings oriented sector, but also transportation. That's underserved right now in the region as far as targets and also implementation, going to EVs uh, in any sense, whether it's with battery electric vehicles and electricity from the grid, or it's going to be a hydrogen conversion, something around sustainability. And then building even more so uh, the landfills with no waste and trying to create the waste in a more subtle way. And then taking this, this autonomy or this, this digitalization, which you see shortly, to a full deployment. So as you see in the other countries in the US and Europe, whatever, you now might have ICT companies moving into the electricity utility space to offer services. In the region, it may be the utility itself becomes more of an ICT company, which hints of you know things to come could be an opportunity for a city like Dubai. So I just mentioned that you'll we'll see that shortly. And then 2050, 2070 would be great if we were the most sustainable city in the world. I think Singapore would naturally be a place where that could be done as well. Uh, net zero, 100% renewable or clean energy, green mobility, no waste, utilizing brine when you do desalination to mine out some good viable uh, minerals from there and, and make those viable commercially and help bring the cost of clean desalination down. And then the fuels as well. And then those sectors, particularly when you have big airlines and such, you can serve trying to bring sustainability there. So it's giving a broader scope of sustainability. So that's what's been thought about in Dubai. As far as what the city might look like, you know, certainly you're going to see rooftop PV and you're going to see utility PV that's on the map here. I think those are two that people are aware of. There is a lot of traction now in floating solar, you know, places where there is geographically restricted land space to achieve your targets, which believe it or not, even though Dubai's got a lot of desert space to get to some of the, the levels of solar that need to be need, need to be attained, there may need to be some offshore uh, floating solar PV to complement what be onshore. So that's certainly being looked at and being piloted or thought about as piloting. In the region, the cities. On the building side, cooling is a big issue. So try to get away from building cooling individually, district cooling from clean power. It's I think very critical, very important. And then the EV, the fleet of EVs, we need to move in that direction as well. The industry which is in the context of the city or in the, the perimeter of the city, carbon capture utilization important. And then of course the waste systems and then the intelligence to make all this work. And I think the intelligence in particular with balancing very high shares of renewables when you're using that power across multiple sectors is going to grow in importance. So that's sort of the way we looked at Dubai from a, a integrated sense, which would be the future. It's one possible path to the future. Importantly, and I've touched on this several times, I'll touch on it one more time, really fundamentally leveraging the fourth industrial revolution has got to be a backbone to such a city. So smart and sustainable city, you don't want just one or the other. I mean, sustainable in its own right is great. Smart, though, I think allows you to start to think about taking the utility and offering all of its services in an intelligent way, whether using drone inspections with power lines, you're enabling workers through VR and AR to do their jobs better and more safely, or you're controlling the dispatch of electricity and trying to run demand response and such in the city in an intelligent way. That's one side of it. The other, as I mentioned, you know, in the future, everywhere in the world, the extent to which ICT and, and the energy sector converge is an interesting evolution. You know, will Google be your power company or will they at least allow the power company with the business in jeopardy to offer better services to smart homes 
So they have a new business model is, you know, their, their current business model starts to fade away if there's prosumers and such, such things. In the region, we have to look at it differently because we have these integrated utilities, which are you know, not competing in the same way with these uh, ICT companies you see elsewhere. So that's a, another thought. So this is just the way we're thinking about the city. And I'll leave it at that and maybe there'll be more discussion about it, but I think it's an interesting way to consider the region and also consider Singapore. The final topic, my last slide, essentially I have one more summary slide, but I just want to get into an opportunity I think is important uh, as well. And it's again, city context, because it's happening in cities is the notion of green hydrogen. So as we, everyone, I think most are aware now, there's different colors of hydrogen, whether or not you're getting it from gas or from the carbon capture, blue hydrogen, or you're producing uh, hydrogen from electrolysis of water uh, with renewables, green hydrogen, so to speak. And Saudi Arabia and Neom, which is this uh, half a trillion dollar land city in Saudi Arabia, almost everyone's heard of this massive project for exportable hydrogen in the form of ammonia, four gigawatts of renewables producing hundreds of tons of hydrogen per day, which will go to ammonia. In this case, there'll be in this $5 billion investment, there would be an international export of the ammonia uh, in partnership with uh, Air Product. And they would then take that to markets where they would use that for transportation. Of course, a little bit more complicated than just using this locally, having to do the shipping and then bring ammonia back to H2 and use it in, in vehicles. But nonetheless, that's one city which is already knowing that they have the ability to have a broader impact and just providing power for own use. And that's on the international scale. I work a lot with Mazdar, as you know, in UAE, we have Mazdar City here in Abu Dhabi. And so we've started now with the Mazdar thinking about a pilot to consider multiple ways in which we can use green hydrogen. And also the National Oil Company, I've worked with them too on the blue side. But on the green side, even in the city, think about how you can use a proton electron membrane electrolyzer, for instance, produce green hydrogen, which could then be used for, say, running a bus or you know, these larger duty vehicles, which are not impossible to run through battery electricity storage. But you know, hydrogen certainly is today at least a competitive way to do this run some of the buses and, and transport with hydrogen, then also take to shipping, for instance, you know, you have the option for methanol, if you have a CO2 source and your hydrogen can create methanol. Uh, shipping is another potential opportunity. And then something that we're more so involved in at Leaf University is aviation. So the notion of CO2 and hydrogen for electric fuels, I think is the future of aircraft. If you follow Airbus announcements, Boeing and what have you, they're all looking in the next couple of decades to try to become more sustainable and for long haul aviation. Uh, it won't be batteries, maybe for short haul in some cases, but it'll have more energy dense fuels. And so we've been looking at creating a sustainable aviation fuel initiative in UAE. ADNOC, of course, is a stakeholder and we want Mustar involved as well. But the idea being, if you have a green hydrogen source and it's robust, then you can do more than what I've said previously is really worry about the city per se uh, and its local opportunities for use of hydrogen. But you can go into thinking about how to create a green aviation fleet to the extent required for international regulations coming around. CO2 mitigation in the airline sector. So I think that's another way to look at the region. It's, it's certainly one that's got great opportunity. And so I would recommend as we think about renewables and the outlook for it in the region, we think also about hydrogen and see how that evolves in the coming uh, years. So in summary, renewables are progressing. There are some really ambitious targets to go to Saudi Arabia. Um, and so this decade, we'll see, you know, can these targets be delivered? I think there's some progress that shows that it is getting the right traction, probably the right technology there to do that. Industry and transport are yet to be really addressed. So they need to be considered in the renewable space. Urbanization, smart cities. As again, I, I think renewables today, it's more about convergence. And so when you talk about the industry, it's trying to look at sectors come together. 
And when you talk about convergence and you talk about bringing it all together in a system, naturally you start to talk about hygiene. You know, it's a great fuel which can be used for long periods of storage and it can work across sectors. And so I think for the transition, the green hygiene we talked about from solar is pretty interesting. And then, although it's not a conversation topic for today per se, I think if you look at the Adnox and Ramcos of the world, the blue hydrogen for the natural gas resources, a couple of carbon capture could be something of, of interest for them as well. So with that, I, I'll finish. And once again, thank you. And I look forward to the question and answer session. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Steve. Um, there was a lot to digest there. Um, uh, Robin, um, can we start with you next? Uh, thanks. Thank you, Tarek. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, just uh, just not showing my screen. I think. Are, are you uh, are you getting the, the the share screen yet? Uh, yes, but it seems like they're looking at a mobile phone rather than a slide. Yeah. Deck. Yeah. Just give me a second to fix um, that. Sorry, can I step in? Is it okay if I can just show you my end? Would that be okay for you? Yes. Go ahead. Yep. All right. Just give me a second. Just let me share. Do you see it? Yeah, that's good. Okay. That's okay. Thank you. No worries. Okay, so so I'll be also be addressing renewable energy in the GCC, and I think I cover a lot of the same ground as Steve, so I, I won't labour the uh, the common points that we have um, too much, but I'll try to pick up on on uh, the uh, additional points. So um, you can see here a view of the Mohammed bin Rashid uh, solar park, which uh, in in Dubai, which is ultimately intended to reach five gigawatts. Um, that's that's the research uh, and, and visitor center in the foreground, and then you can see obviously one of the PV installations in the in the background. So if we could go to the next slide, please. So again, I, I don't think we need to labour this too much, but we know that the GCC has exceptionally good solar conditions, um, both for photovoltaics and for concentrated solar power, but particularly for for photovoltaics, um, and in various parts of, particularly in of Western Saudi Arabia. Um, and parts of Oman, some of the, the very, very best conditions in the world. Um, the conditions along the Gulf Coast are not quite as good, but they are still, still very, very good. Um, and the, uh, of course, the whole Middle East, North Africa region is, is, is uh, a strong region for, for solar potential. So next slide, please. Um, for wind, uh, not so much. Uh, the wind resource is not particularly good, except in certain areas. And in fact, in, in northwest Saudi Arabia and in, in southern Oman, there are, again, some excellent wind areas. Um, again, in, in the Gulf uh, area, not so much. Um, but this is 
important because when we talk about renewables in the Gulf, we generally tend to think of um, of solar power you know, naturally, but actually wind does have, have a role to play and, and I'll, I'll address why that is a little bit later. Next slide, please. And we've seen rapid growth in recent years in, in renewables in the region, um, but, and particularly in solar, um, from a very low base. You know, obviously given that regions richness of resource, the amount of solar that, that was installed back in 2016 was, was minimal. Um, but we could already see then that the, the momentum was building for a much larger and faster installation of, of solar power um, because we had had the first significant project in, in Dubai, which is awarded at a, um, at a, a very competitive price for, for, for that time. Uh, we had had the establishment of Mastar in, in, uh, uh, in, in Abu Dhabi, which is intended to drive renewable other clean energy deployment in the region. And as Steve mentioned, we'd had the very ambitious plans from KA Care in Saudi Arabia, which, which ultimately didn't pan out, but they did at least set the stage that Saudi Arabia had, had very large uh, renewable energy ambitions. And you know, the region is, is a very energy intensive region. Um, it has a high use of air conditioning, of desalination, that, that's unavoidable because of the climate. It has a lot of energy intensive industry, uh, but it also has a legacy of, of subsidies uh, and cheap, cheap energy and, and uh, policies ensuring cons uh, and encouraging consumption. And it's, um, although there's a lot more effort on efficiency now and, and on subsidy reform, there still is that legacy of, of cheap prices, which, which leads to a uh, naturally um, or artificially high consumption, even relative to what's required for, the, um, uh, for this climate. Uh, and I think that's important because obviously partly because there, there's, there is the room for a lot more efficiency um, but also because there is, is a large demand that has to be met. And particularly, I think very important when we consider like what is the electricity demand in this region for, and it is very much for air conditioning, uh, particularly in, uh, in summer when it's reaching up, up to 60% of total power demand. Uh, and so obviously solar technologies, which correlate very, very well to, to air conditioning demand are, are particularly attractive and that there are various ways to, to enhance that, that role that they can play. And I think this makes it makes the GCC very interesting because it is quite different from the situation in, say, Northwest Europe, where the peak demand for energy occurs in the, in the winter, at night, uh, cold weather, it's dark. Um, so solar power is, is obviously not, not much use. Uh, and you do get long periods in Northwest Europe of, um, of low wind, high pressure areas. Uh, and so when wind power is curtailed as well, um, that creates the, the need for long term seasonal storage or some kind of backup. In the GCC, though backup is required, the, the match is much, much better in, in, in time. And you're talking on the scale of a day or so, you're talking a pretty good match to, to renewable generation versus demand. And this means that storage media such as batteries are, are, are much more viable for that kind of storage period. So next slide, please. And again, Steve mentioned the renewable energy targets uh, that the, the various countries in the region have. Um, and so I, I won't labor these in detail, but I think a couple of key points to, to draw attention to. You know, I mean, firstly, obviously the Saudi targets are, are particularly the most ambitious um, and, and involve very, very large. I mean, the most, there's various iterations of these targets and, and, um, and change, but the, the most recent Saudi ones are very ambitious, even on a fairly short time scale. Um, UA targets are also ambitious, but, but a bit more spread out. Um, with these intermediate targets to 2030 before getting to 2050. Um, and, and the other countries in the region have targets that are, are not as aggressive, except in the case of Kuwait, but, but 
And to be honest, Kuwait's progress has, so far has been, has been pretty slow. Um, the targets for, for Qatar and Oman are much less ambitious. Um, and I think, so this is, you could see this as a drawback. I also see it as an opportunity there, and I'll address that later, but really there's an opportunity for the other countries in the GCC beyond Saudi Arabia and the UAE to speed up their efforts. And I think if we look at these targets, the general expectation is they, uh, in the case of the UAE, that they, they, they will be met or, or pretty much met on time. Um, in the case of the other countries, they probably will be missed, um, but not maybe missed by too much. And, and they're indicative of the direction of travel. Um, more importantly, I think there will be a progressive tightening of ambition. So, so these targets will become more and more ambitious as time goes on, even, even if they're missed uh, over the next couple of years. And of course, the pandemic doesn't help. But in the longer term, these targets will become more and more, more and more ambitious. Um, and again, Steve alluded to this, but they relate mainly to electricity. Um, but there is certainly a lot of opportunity for renewable use um, in other sectors and in, and in other forms. And obviously, the whole area of heating and cooling can involve electricity, but it can also be used with, with direct heat. So next slide, please. And in terms of support mechanisms, I think you know, the GCC has been very interesting in um, largely not going down the, the feed-in tariff uh, route that, uh, that, that uh, European countries have pioneered, um, but instead being very strong advocates of the, um, the competitive auction mechanism for, for specified capacities of, of certain technologies. And this has been extremely successful in driving down costs and, 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 um, and achieving the world's lowest costs, not only for solar uh, photovoltaics and concentrated solar power, but, but even for wind. Um, so this, uh, this approach has been very successful. There have also been net metering schemes for, for so-called rooftop or distributed solar in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, not really much impact in Saudi yet, but in the UAE, there's a pretty lively and successful uh, rooftop solar business, primarily so far on commercial and industrial sites, not really on residential yet. Um, and, uh, and Steve and I wrote a paper a little while back exploring why that was. It's primarily to do with cost competitiveness. It's, it's still residential installations are relatively expensive compared to pretty low residential electricity prices. But for industrial commercial sites with a little bit more scale, um, then solar installations have become uh, highly attractive. And again, there's potential when the regulations are right, there's potential for a lot more of the kind of installation. We're seeing it in, our, in, in Oman already uh, and we could see it elsewhere. So next slide, please. And putting all these factors together, this is, is our forecast for uptake of, of solar power in, in the region, in the GCC. Uh, and you can see that it involves extremely rapid growth um, and, uh, and to a very high level of solar power in, in, over the next decade or so, so in a fairly short time. Now, you know, this year's target, we, we may fall a bit short um, because, because of the pandemic, um, and that, that may set us back a year or so. Um, and as I expressed, I think the short-term targets may be a little bit overambitious and a little bit fast, um, but I do think also that the pace of installation will pick up in, in, in the next few years because of, of the greatly improved competitiveness of renewable energy uh, and, its, and its continuing improvements in performance, um, the, the introduction, uh, introduction of things like batteries to, um, to, to improve the reliability and, and, and uh, increase uh, capacity factors um, and other advance in advances in technology. We've seen bifacial panels coming in probably will be adopted as standard in the next few years that are, are also picking up reflected sunlight, uh, increasing output and, and reducing overall project cost. Um, so it's interesting just how, how quickly those have come in and, and been accepted. I'm sure we'll see other innovations uh, similarly as well. 
And you know, if you look at, I said we were working from a very low base, but you can see here that renewable and solar capacity in the region effectively doubling um, every year from 2017, 18, 19, 20 maybe because the pandemic is, is a question mark, but then 20, 2021 as well. So we could have had um, four, four to five years of, of, of consecutive annual doublings. And then you start getting into a 10 gigawatt market, um, which is, is becoming significant. And perhaps you know, in the region of 80 gigawatts by 2030, where you're talking about a, an installed capacity comparable to the whole of China today. Two countries really leading this, of course, as we said, Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Um, Oman is picking up now. Kuwait's plans Kuwait's, has great potential, but it has moved slowly. So we may be a little bit over ambitious on Kuwait here. Um, but there is also more, definitely more potential for Bahrain and particularly Qatar to pick up and do more than is shown here. Um, so overall, I think these, these figures are, are, are quite achievable. Next, please. And Steve also stressed the, the falling costs. Uh, now, so I've shown here the uh, international costs um, and you can see obviously strong uh, uh, declines in, in solar PV costs. And you can see here kind of, if we looked at 2018, kind of world averages, eight and a half cents, you know, and the low end five, 5.7 cents. Um, quite a few places are beating this now, of course. Um, and the GCC is very much one of those. Uh, and, and indeed, you could say in most of the tenders, the GCC and, and other Middle East countries are, are the leaders. We're regularly seeing GCC projects awarded now at below one and a half cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if fairly soon we start to see projects being, being achieved at below one cent a kilowatt hour. Now, you, are these really true prices of electricity? I mean, there are a few things like basically free land, free grid connections. Um, so there are a few factors which perhaps you should say should should um, should go should be added to the, the auction prices to give you a true price. Um, but no, no doubt that they are very, very cheap uh, electricity, really because of, of just declining uh, solar equipment costs in general, uh, improving output. And I mentioned uh, bifacial panels, for example, other improvements as well, better, better forecasting of, of solar resources. Insulation costs continue to come down as the region's supply chain develops. Um, and low financing costs, that has been absolutely crucial in, in this region. And developers have proved very skillful at, at, at getting very high levels of debt at, at, at very low, uh, very low interest rates. Banks getting very comfortable with these projects as pretty safe, state-backed um, and low risk, uh, very low technical risk projects. Um, and put all these factors together, that, that's, that's helped achieve these very, very low prices. And you know, what's just worth commenting you know, what, what happens when solar power, power prices are, are achieving one and a half cents or, or less than a cent a kilowatt hour. Um, there is obviously a dramatic acceleration in the attractiveness because you get below, you're certainly below, far below the cost of oil uh, for fuel. Saudi Arabia and Kuwait will still burn a lot of oil for fuel in power plants. Um, a large part of that can be replaced at a, at a much lower cost with solar. Um, and, um, and even you start getting below the cost of, of natural gas, even for the region which has, generally has pretty cheap natural gas. So you come to the point where, 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 where never mind, of course, you, you will need backup for, for solar plants. But at every moment when you can avoid burning a molecule of oil or gas with solar, um, then, then you will choose to do that. And, and even in, in evening times by using batteries to extend the, uh, the range of the, of the solar generation uh, into the, the evening period. Next, please. Uh, just to touch on, on a few of the, the major projects that are active at the moment, and you can see that these are, as I say, very, very low cost projects. The, the Al Dhafra project in Abu Dhabi, what is, um, quite recently, will be completed second quarter 
2022 um, at, at 1.35 US cents per kilowatt hour and a two gigawatt project. So a very, very large solar project by, uh, by, by any standards, by world standards. Um, and you've seen Al-Khasar, Qatar's first large project, which is, is interesting, important that uh, things get moving there as well. Uh, and Saudi Arabia rewarding a whole set of somewhat smaller projects, uh, but it's still big. And here's an example of one, Faisalia, 600 megawatts. There are several projects of, of several hundred megawatts being awarded at various points, particularly in the, the western part of Saudi Arabia, where uh, you know, there's limited availability of gas and, and solar power therefore has some advantages. Next, please. And also the level of investment, I think, in renewables is very interesting. You know, uh, oil prices are low in the region at the moment. Governments are short of budgets. They're looking to develop new industries. And so anything that brings in foreign direct investment is very attractive. And solar power and renewables in general have proved very good at that. There's been a very high willingness to, uh, to finance the, these projects. And you can see pretty substantial amounts of, of FDI. Um, so some of this obviously is domestic investment by companies like Mustar, um, but a large part is also FDI and, and also debt financing from financial institutions. Um, and so this is, is taking the burden off government balance sheets um, and uh, while, while bringing in, in new finance. Um, and this, this will be attractive particularly to countries such as Oman and Bahrain, which are, uh, whose government budgets are, are relatively under strain at the moment. Um, worth it, I think, just thinking a little bit, I mean, obviously there's a, a whole, um, uh, industry here around just installing and, and running the, these plants. Um, the interesting question for uh, subsequently, I think, is will there be development of a local solar industry? Um, there certainly are local developers. Aquapower is a large utility scale developer from Saudi Arabia, private with, but with some state investment, has been very successful throughout the Middle East and Africa. Um, there are a number of smaller companies in, in Dubai in particular, which specialize in, uh, in distributed solar um, and they've, they've got um, portfolios of, of perhaps one or 200 megawatts of, of installation pipelines, which they're doing throughout, throughout the Middle East and Africa. Um, but in terms of manufacturing, um, there have been attempts to develop local manufacturing of some renewable components. Um, not uh, too much progress so far. And I think that is one question whether a country particularly like Saudi Arabia will tighten up its local content requirements and uh, and, and kickstart local industry, but, but, but obviously with some uh, chance of, of, then of rising prices or, or stop, at least stopping the declines in costs. Next, please. So what's next for GCC Renewables? Well, I think there's a, um, really this, this coming decade is a decade of deployment, but also of wide, widening scope. So we need to see Saudi Arabia's implementation speeding up. Um, the plans so far are very ambitious, and if they are going to be met, the, the intermediate targets by 2023 uh, and 25, they'll need to be a much quicker progress. Um, and okay, fine, we could say we'll allow a year because of the, of the difficulties this year, but but after that, things need to speed up. Um, then the expansion of renewables from Saudi and, and UAE into Oman. Oman is definitely picking up on the utility solar side and on distributed solar, and on some interesting innovative uh, solar projects, uh, thermal projects producing steam for heavy oil recovery, so improving the carbon footprint and energy efficiency of, of the oil and gas industry. Um, and also Oman uh, making significant progress in, in wind power as well. Qatar, as I mentioned, and particularly Kuwait and Bahrain, much further behind. Uh, and and um, uh, well, I think, again, for the full, realizing the full potential of GCC renewables, we need to see those other countries uh, picking up. 
um, and their, their pace over this, this coming decade. And then moving beyond just simple solar PV to increase integration with batteries and other storage. So uh, solar thermal storage, Dubai's solar thermal plant will have, um, uh, will have overnight storage. Uh, pumped hydro, so Saudi Arabia and Dubai both uh, building pumped hydro plants for, for, for longer term storage. Um, and all, and uh, then these use these other storage technologies for smoothing output and covering the evening peak. Um, so we get a, uh, there's a demand peak around 6, 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, when people go home, turn on the air conditioning, turn on the television, and, uh, and then obviously the, the solar generation stopped at that point, but, but some batteries or other storage could, could, could cover the evening peak as well. Uh, more use of distributed solar, remote locations, or field sites, um, mines, uh, other remote areas, uh, and including thermal use, could be including direct thermal use for, for air conditioning. Electricity exports, question mark, you know, the GCC grid is being connected to uh, Iraq at some point, to, um, to Jordan, to Egypt. Um, so there will be more trade of electricity. Whether this turns into large-scale exports of electricity, um, whether there could be a major project to export renewable electricity to South Asia, for example, um, more, more speculative, um, but definitely more potential for electricity trading, at least within the region. And then expansion beyond electricity. And with these very attractive renewable energy costs, there is a huge regional potential for green hydrogen, so hydrogen from electrolysis of, of water. The NEON project is a a, uh, a four gigawatt equivalent uh, project with costing about $5 billion um, to produce uh, green hydrogen, be the, the largest project of, it, of its kind. Um, and um, has actually, you know, quite a lot of reality behind it. I think the developers are very serious companies and, and definitely see, uh, see genuine economic potential in it. And the NEOM site has, a, has the great combination of solar and wind. So it, it should be able to achieve very high capacity factors from the, uh, the electrolyzer. And that's, that's absolutely key. I think solar only electrolyzers that running at 20% capacity factors will not, be, uh, will not be economically viable. But the combination of solar and wind in a good site where you get 70, 80% plus capacity factor um, could be amongst the world's most competitive green hydrogen, uh, green ammonia, uh, green steel made using that hydrogen. So this can be a new export industry for the region, uh, which, which is, is what it very much needs. So next slide, thank you. And that's the, uh, that's the conclusion. So a pretty quick run through, um, but I'm sure we'll touch on many more of these points in the discussion.